Romans chapter 1, and as you're grabbing your Bible, go ahead and grab the uh, sermon outline in your bulletin that's uh, there for you to follow along. And we are in week 6 in our series, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, a series out of Romans chapter 1. You can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 10. When I was younger, I, re- I remember it, it seemed almost every Sunday I, I would receive a bad report from my Sunday school teacher here at the church uh, to my mom and dad that Tim had screwed up. Tim had said something he shouldn't have. Tim didn't listen. Tim didn't do this or that. And I remember on the car ride home, my mom would always ask the same question, and it was always with the same tone. What were you thinking? And like a good young man, junior hire was usually the time that I was doing all the screwing up. I would say to my parents, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I just did it. Well, one particular day I was particularly bad and the teacher had talked with the, uh, my teacher had talked with my parents and said, Tim uh, got in trouble again in Sunday school. And my mom again, just on cue, says, what were you thinking? And my father chimes in and says, what motivated you to behave that way? And my brother, before I could answer the theologian that he is, said, the devil made him do it. And I said, well, that works. I don't have to say I don't know again. And I went with that. I said, yes, the devil made me do it. And that's why I uh, was motivated to misbehave. Well, the question I want to ask you today is not why you misbehave. Hopefully you're not misbehaving too much as an adult. But why do you serve God? Why do you serve God? What motivates you to serve God? Why should we as Christians be serving God? What should be our motivation? We talk a lot about serving our Lord or doing the Lord's work. But the question I want to answer today is, why should we be serving the Lord? What should be our motivation? And what kind of spirit should we have when it comes to serving the Lord? Because motivations are a huge factor in why we do what we do and how we do what we do. If our motives are wrong, then there's a good chance that the outcome will be wrong. But if our motives are right, then there's a good chance that the outcome will be good and wholesome and will be pleasing to God. I want to give you, just right in your outline, I want to give you a handful of bad motivations for serving the Lord. The first one is panic. We serve the Lord out of panic. Now, You're sitting there and you're saying, well, I don't serve the Lord out of panic. There are many people in churches today who are serving the Lord because they say, I don't want to go to hell. And I uh, believe, just as Krista was saying, that if I do enough, then I won't go to hell. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do as much as I can, whenever I can, so that at the end of my life, when I stand before Almighty God, when he looks at the good and the bad, he'll say, "Well, well, wow, you served in the choir. Oh, you were in small groups and you led Bible study. And the good will outweigh the bad. And panic is one of our motivations that we have for serving God. Now there's another one, and that is prestige. There are those that that serve God, and they serve God because they want to look holy. They want to look like they are in charge. They want to look like they've got everything all put together. And in serving God, uh, having a position at the church, being on the leadership team at the church, brings a level of prestige. And why I serve God is because 
It makes me feel good. And it begins to allow me to have a level of prestige that I never thought I could have anywhere else. Another one, of course, is pride. We do that. We serve God. Why? Because it feeds our ego. People come up and say, wow, you do a great job at this or you're great at that. And that just feeds our ego more and more that the reason we serve God, the reason we're motivated to serve God is because it begins to help us build a level of pride in our lives. Another one we see, this is a little more subtle, is that of peer pressure. Is that of peer pressure. The reason why we serve God is because that's what our friends are doing. Here we are involved in a local church, and it seems like everybody's involved. And if I'm not involved, then I'm going to be the odd man out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be in small group because everybody's in small group. I'm going to help in the children's ministry because everybody helps in the children's ministry. I'm going to go to this event or that event because that's what everybody does. And if I want to be in this circle of friends, then it's going to mean that I'm going to have to do something. So we're motivated by what others are doing in our midst. Another one, number five, we have is parents. For those that grew up in in Christian homes or religious homes, this is a big one. I remember in, in junior high, knowing that I needed to serve the Lord because that's what mom and dad did. And if I wanted to please mom and dad, that was important for me to be a part of. Now, my parents never forced me to do that, but their mere obedience to God led me to a place that I needed to obey God. Now, there are some here today There are some young people here today, they're here, not because you want to be here, but you're here because mom and dad have forced you to be here. You're involved in youth group, you're involved in in different activities because that's what mom and dad say you need to do. Others of you, adults even, in fact, some of you are here because mom and dad still have a tight hold on you and you need to be involved in a church. And if you're not involved in a church, then you'll hear about it from your parents my mother-in-law has a tight rein on, on her kids, and I have a brother-in-law who uh, is in his late 20s. And she always says, did you go to church today? You need to be in church. And what he does, I think it's kind of funny, he goes to the church that my in-laws attend the night before uh, Mass is done, and he goes and gets the bulletin for the week. And he says, Mom, Dad, I went to church. And I tell him, you can't do that. That's lying. He says, well, maybe I'll go to church and learn that that's no good. That's what we do. Parents move us to be involved in serving God. One final one that we see is the, uh, that of prophet. Prophet, we serve God because it may pad our pockets. We serve God because it's going to give us some money. It's going to allow us some opportunities. I am so thankful that in this church that our staff are not involved in any of the money matters when it comes to the church. And that other people figure out their salaries and their compensations and that it is a fair compensation, nothing more, nothing less. I heard about a, a heavy-duty, uh, large uh, ministry that, that uh, has fallen apart because of a divorce that has happened between the two prominent leaders uh, in the church, a husband and wife team. And the biggest question that the church had was how they were going to break up the assets of the husband and wife because their net worth was near $9 million. And you sit there and say, how do you know whether you're serving the Lord or money? The Bible says we can't serve those two masters. Those are some bad motivations for serving the Lord. What about good ones? What about some good ones? The first one I have for good, write this down, is love. We love God. 
Because he first loved us. And out of a result of loving God, God has called us to serve. God has called us to be obedient. So what do we do? We serve God. That's a good motivation. I serve my wife not because I have to, but because I love her. And out of my love for God, I serve God in the same way. The second one we see is that of gratitude. Now, I'm going to be talking about this in a moment, but let me just hit on it quickly. Gratitude is a motivation. God has given us his son. God has given us grace. God has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given us new birth in Christ Jesus. And after all that God has given us, we now have an opportunity to say thank you. How do we say thank you? We say thank you by serving God. We say, Lord, after all that you've done for us, I now present my body a living sacrifice for you to say thank you for all that you've done. Have you ever received an unexpected gift before? And all you want to do, all that you want to be a part of is saying thank you to that person for that unexpected gift. And you want to do whatever you can to show your appreciation. Well, that's one of the reasons why we serve. And I would say it's one of the main reasons Number three is eternal significance. We sit there and and, and we serve God. Why? We serve God because God says there's something greater in this world than just the 70 years or so that we live on this earth. That there's something greater than just owning a home and a car and, and being married. But God says there's something beyond that. There is eternity. And the Bible says that one day we will stand before God. And if we have served God with a humble heart, with a heart that is out of gratitude and love, that his response to us will be what? Well done, good and faithful servant. So why do we serve God? Because we want to stand before God and hear Jesus Christ say that to us because of how we have served him out of love and gratitude. The next one we see are rewards. Our rewards. We serve God because there's an opportunity for rewards. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Christ is going to look as the great judge and he's going to look at all that we've done for the Lord. And one of the key uh, things that he's going to look at is the motivation of our heart. Now, you could say, well, I've served God here and I've served God there. And what you're going to do is put all your little serving of God on a holy conveyor belt. It's going to go through on this conveyor belt. It's going to go through the fire of Christ's judgment. And after that judgment seat goes through everything, all the wrong motives, all the wrong uh, things that you were a part of are going to be pulled out of that. And at the end of that conveyor belt, there are going to be all the godly motives and all the good things that, that you did for the Lord with, that had the right heart. And at the end of that, God's going to say, all right, based on what you've done for Christ, here are your rewards. We talk about crowns. We talk about jewels. We talk about uh, places of authority in his kingdom. There are rewards. Now, some will say, well, I should not serve God because it's going to be a reward for me. I don't say that. The Bible does. The Bible tells us that Paul ran the race because he wanted to receive a crown of righteousness. And he says, not just me, but all who carry this hope of the coming of Jesus Christ. We serve God, uh, truth be told, for the rewards that God has promised us. Another one is duty. Another one is duty. We serve God. Why? Because he tells us to. 
And as Christians, we have a job, and that is to serve God. Now, this one isn't very flashy, and this one isn't very uh, pretty. We just do what we're told to do. He's the master. We're the servant. If we want to be a good servant, we're going to serve the Lord. It is a sense of duty. It's like a military agent in the army. He does what he's told, knowing that that's what God has asked of him. The final one is fear. We serve God out of fear. Now, you sit there and say, well, that should be a bad motivation. Tim, we should not serve God out of fear. But I know that many of us, the greatest deterrent that we have not only to serving God, but to running away from sin is fear. The fear of what? The fear of being caught in our sin? The fear of consequences of sin? So what do we do? We stay away from sin. And we stay away from ungodly living. Why? Because the Bible says that if you uh, sow to these things, the Bible says you will reap to these things. I don't want to reap to the sins of immorality. I don't want to reap to the sins of uh, pride or anger or jealousy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to live in accordance to what God has said. God has said that I should be obedient and serve Him and use my gifts. And if I don't, that there's going to be temporal discipline in my life. So what do I do? Out of fear of the Lord, I serve Christ. Now this one's a little uh, less, um, as I said before, clean because we need to be very careful. We fear the Lord because He's a great and consuming fire, the book of Hebrews says. But we should also know that He's a God of love and a God that wants nothing more than to guide us and to nurture us. So there's a balance. And what is that balance? The best way to put it is the fear that I had of my own father. I knew my father loved me. I knew that he would do nothing that would hurt me or harm me. But when my dad said, be home at this time, I was home at that time. Why? Because the fear of what would happen when he would ask the question, what were you thinking? And I give the wrong answer. And what would come after that? That isn't so PC these days when it comes to discipline. I can assure you it was not a time out There's the fear of the Lord and why we serve. Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, unveils his motivation for Christian service. And there are three things I want to observe from our text today. But first, I want to read our text this morning and see what Paul has to say. Paul has never met the Roman church as a whole entity. We know that he has met some people from Rome. He's going to mention them later in his letter, but he's about to write a letter to them, one of his longest letters he writes to any church, and he wants to introduce himself, but not only introduce himself, but the reason why he serves and the motivation that he has, and he wants to reveal his heart that he is one who serves God with the right motivation. So let's look at what he says Starting in verse 1, let's read to verse 10. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now this gospel, God promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son who as to the human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our text this morning. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Let's pray. Father God, we've opened your word this morning. Your word is living and active, and it is going to teach us this morning how we should serve. Father, I pray that you would see in this building today a people who desire nothing more than to serve you. But beyond that, just like Paul, Father, that we would be people who serve with the right motives, who would serve with the right heart, who would desire nothing more than to serve you in a godly and holy way. But Lord, we know we need your help to do this. So we ask for your spirit to lead and to guide, to convict where we're wrong to guide in truth in the way of everlasting, so that you'll receive glory, honor, and praise. Be with us as we open your word this morning, and all God's people said, Amen. The first thing that we see that Paul talks about is that for Christians to have a proper service, we must first of all be motivated by a thankful heart. Write that in your outlines. We must be motivated by a thankful heart. Paul, in verses 1 through 7, gives us the synopsis, the theme of the book of Romans. The theme is the gospel of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in those first seven verses, he articulates why we should be thankful. Look in your your Bibles through verses 1 through 7. He calls all of us, first of all, to be thankful for our calling in verse 1. For the gospel... For the scriptures in verses 2 and 3, for the prophets, for Jesus Christ, for the cross, the death and burial uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for grace that we have been shown, his unmerited and undeserved favor. In verses 7, he says to be that we are loved by God, that we are made saints, and that we are given blessings, grace and peace that come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of those are reasons on why we should be thankful. It is unthinkable. Please hear me this morning, my friends. It is unthinkable for someone to call themselves a Christian and not exhibit thankfulness or thanksgiving in their life. In fact, in Romans 1.21, turn it there if you just got to turn a page. In Romans 1.21, Paul is going to give an indictment against the whole world. And the indictment is the following. The world is completely depraved and sinful. And it is, in a, it is on a downward spiral for only getting worse. Right now we're in the good of Romans 1. Then we'll get to the bad at verse 18. And then we get downright ugly at the end of the passage. And what Paul says is that they're on a downward spiral. But look at what he says in verse 21. He says that although the world knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. One of the chief sins before he gets to all the other sins is that the world, though they knew God, they knew that he was there. The invisible attributes of the world show that God is there. 
They said, no, we don't believe that he's God, and nor do we give thanks to God. And then he goes on, the reason then all this sin happens is because of our ungrateful hearts. So if that's what the Bible says, if that's what Paul says about the world of sin, that a world of sin finds its beginnings in an ungrateful heart. If you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, you will see ungrateful hearts. God gives them the garden. He gives them all the things that they could ever want and desire. But he says, that one tree, don't touch it. Don't, don't eat from it. Don't, don't do anything around that. Just leave that one alone. And what does the devil say? Well, God's a killjoy. And you should be ungrateful for all that he's given because he hasn't given you that one thing. So what do they do? Out of ungrateful hearts, they go and they take of the apple and eat and, and fall to sin. I'm here to tell you that the heart of man when it comes to sin is the heart of ingratitude. Why? Because we're unthankful for what God has given us. Think about the sin of sexual immorality for a moment. God has said that there's a place for uh, a sexual union between a man and a woman that are in a marriage covenant relationship. And instead of saying, thank you, God, for this gift, instead of that, what do we do? We go and we say, well, I'm not happy with the one that God has given me, or that's not enough, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go find someone else. The sin is sexual immorality. The basis of that sin is an ungrateful heart for what God has given to a married couple. This ungrateful heart, again, cannot be a part of the life of the Christian. So what does Paul say? Look at verse 8. He says our only response is to be thankful. In verse 8 he says, First, I thank my God. First, I thank my God. Before we even move from that, we need to understand a couple things. Number one, that... um, This thankful heart, this godly motivation of thanksgiving, is crucial to a vibrant faith. It is crucial to a vibrant faith. You show me a person who's ungrateful, and I will show you a Christian who does not have a vibrant faith. You show me a Christian who is thankful for what God has done and is doing in their life, and I will show you one who has a vibrant faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because if you are ungrateful, then there are a couple sins that are going to come out of right out of that ungrateful heart. Number one, resentment. Number two, bitterness. Number three, jealousy. If you don't get this thankful heart down, then you are going to battle a whole bunch of other sins. If you're not thankful for what God has given you, you're going to look at everybody else and say, but look at what God's given them. It's easy to look at the world and say, well, why should I follow Christ if if my neighbor's got more than I do, if my neighbor's uh, life is better than mine, unless I look at God and say, God, I don't deserve a thing And out of that, knowing that you've given me so much, I'm going to be thankful. The Bible tells us that as long as we have a roof over our head and clothes on our back and food to eat, we should be content in all things. This idea of contentment is an idea of having a thankful heart. That it's enough. It's enough for what we need. But we go on and he says, first I thank the Lord. This word first isn't just put there as a way of outline. Paul is saying that this thanksgiving, this thankful heart, is first in importance, it is first in place, it is first in order. Paul's saying before we even move on, let's get this thanksgiving thing down first. He explains the theme, the gospel, and he says before I even get started, let me just say thank you. Let me just say thank you. Now, you would say, well, Paul, okay, you say that, things must be good at going well for you to be that happy, that chipper about things. But look at what we see next. This thankful heart must be present at all times. 
It must be present at all times or in all circumstances. Now you would say, well, where do you see that in the text? We don't see it in Romans 1. Turn in your Bibles a, uh, a book back to the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Now, if you were to do a timeline on when these letters were written by Paul, you will know that Paul's letter to the Romans was written on the third missionary journey that Paul has. Now, we know that when Paul writes this, he's in the area of Corinth, and he's on his way to Macedonia and also to head out for this last journey that he's, been a, he's going to be a part of. And in Acts chapter 20, it gives us an idea of what is going on in Paul's life as he is writing this book uh, of Romans. Look in verse 1 and 3. It speaks about when the uproar had ended in verse 1, Paul sent for his disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and, uh, let's see here, set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to come uh, to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed for three months. Now listen to what it says. Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Paul is writing the book of Romans at a time that people are wanting to hunt him down and wanting to hurt him, wanting to imprison him. Some even wanted to kill him. And you sit there and you say, how could he be thankful? The Christian is not just to be thankful because things are all going well. Our job as Christians is to be thankful no matter the circumstances. Paul is being hunted. He is a hunted man, and he still is able to say, I thank my God. I thank Him. How are we to do that? We are to do that because we need to understand that our grateful hearts, our lives of gratitude, are not found in the things that we are given in this world. The Bible says that we have been saved by grace. That is enough to be thankful for. The Bible says that we, without Christ, are on our way to, on a one-way ticket trip to hell. And because of God's grace and His mercy and His love, He pulls us out of that. And He says, you don't have to have condemnation. You don't have to experience my wrath. But you can experience my goodness, my grace. And, and, and if we don't get anything else, we should all still be grateful. There's a lifetime of thanksgiving in that, just in the gospel. And Paul says, I'm being hunted. Paul says, I've been beaten. I've been abused. He says, on one of his journeys, been shipwrecked. But he was still thankful. This isn't something that he just talks about in uh, the book of Romans. But in every letter, except for the letter to the church at Galatia, the book of Galatians, there is a mention of thanksgiving when it comes to his God. Why would he do that? Why would he be so thankful? The answer is found in that personal pronoun that he says. He says, I thank my God. Do you know that no pagan in that day would have ever used that um, as a personal pronoun for their God? They would have said, well, I, I thank the sun God that he hasn't destroyed us. I thank the corn God. I thank the rain God. But I would never call them my God. Do you know that Jews in that day would never, it would, it would be blasphemy. To call God your God. And yet that's what uh, Paul does. Why is Paul thankful? Because Paul understood that God is not this abstract deity, but he knows that God is his Lord, his Savior, and his friend. Later in the text, or later in the book of uh, Romans, we see that we can cry out to God and say to God the Father, Abba, Abba, which means Daddy, Daddy. 
Why is Paul thankful? Because of his relationship that he has with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I thank my God. Now look at what he says next. Through Jesus Christ. Now it must be not only seen in all circumstances, but we see it must be centered on the right person. You know, if I was to have us talk before we even got to our text today and talk about why you're thankful, we would talk about our family. We would talk about having food on the table. We would talk about our jobs. We would talk about having a house. We would talk about a lot of those things. Paul doesn't say anything about that. But what I see is something that we should be articulating, especially to our young children, especially to our family members and our friends. The first and foremost thing that we should be thankful for is our God and Jesus Christ. And yet we forget that. Now, now, sometimes we forget that because the good things that come, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So in some ways, as we thank uh, God for the home, we thank God for all the things that he's given us. In some ways, we're going back and saying, thank you, God, for that. But Paul's not talking about the temporal things of this world. What he's saying, first and foremost, I thank my God, the relationship that I have with him. It's got to be centered on the right person. Who? Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. You can't have God, nor can you have a thankful heart. Please hear me this morning without a thankful heart. Why? Because you will not know your need for salvation without Jesus Christ. You will think in your sinful and depraved mind, we will think as unbelievers that we've accomplished something of worth that God should let us into his heaven. We would say, but God, look at what I've done. I've done this, I've done that. And we would give a litany of things on what we've done to accomplish it. The other thing we would have a problem with without Jesus Christ being center in our thinking is we begin to think we're not as bad as we really are. So we'd sit there and say, of course I deserve those things. Of course God should be doing those things for me. Why? Because look at me. Look how great I am. Look at all the great things that I've done. I'm not bad like you say I am. I'm good. One of the, I was looking at a sermon this week as I'm moving ahead to the end of Romans chapter 1. And, and one of the uh, sermons I was looking at was from, of course, a very liberal church in the Dallas area known for the homosexual movement. The pastor herself is a lesbian. And she writes in there the problem with uh, quote-unquote fundamental churches is that they think that man is inherently wrong and that there are sins that we can commit because we are are sinful. But I have a positive thing, she says about this. You'll hear about this in a couple weeks. She says, I have more of a positive view of God, that God created me and I am good and I am great and God has allowed all these wonderful things and blah, 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 blah. Without Jesus Christ, we think we're all that in a bag of chips. We're not. Because Jesus Christ shows us we are sinners in need of grace. And when we forget that we're sinners in need of grace, when we start centering our thankful hearts on other things, then we begin to forget why and whom we should be thankful for. The final thing we see is that uh, this thankful heart not only needs to be centered on the right person, but it also results in celebrating in celebrating the advancement of the gospel. We see an advancement taking place, and there's a celebration. Look at what Paul thanks God for. He says, God, I thank you because 
of the Romans' faith, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now, please hear me. Paul doesn't say, I thank the Romans. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for my ministry that I'm going to have to the Romans so that they can continue to fight the good fight. He doesn't say that either. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Now, why does he do that? Please hear me. Our advancement of the gospel message is not on us. It is not about us. But is God opening the doors for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ? This gospel is not ours. It is God's gospel. And what Paul is thanking God for is he's saying, God, I thank you for giving, for first of all, winning these Romans to your son. Second of all, I thank you for giving them uh, the ability to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, he says, not only do I thank you for giving them salvation and also giving them the gospel, but Lord, I thank you for the opportunities that you've given them, the open doors all across the known regions to share the good news with Jesus Christ. This term all throughout the world is not the whole globe, of course, because we know that at that point that hadn't taken place. But what Paul is saying is the known world. The Roman Empire had heard the good news of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you were thankful, not just for the things of this world, but you were thankful because you knew that your church or the people within your church or your small group were sharing the good news with others? I couldn't have asked for a better preface with Christa's baptism testimony today where she sits there and she says i'm saved i'm here today because some people opened their doors and allowed their faith to be reported so that i could hear about it praise the lord i thank god for that small group i don't thank that small group per se i thank god for that small group Because he took sinners and he changed them and he gave them a message to send so that when Krista walked into that small group, she would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because just like that group of sinners, she too was a sinner in need of grace. You know, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in our midst. A couple weeks ago, we were getting ready. We weren't sure we were going to have this barn bash that we were going that we're going to be having next week and we went to talk with the elementary school here in town about using the gymnasium and the cafeteria and I had an appointment with the principal and the associate principal and I walked in and the secretary was full there was a lot of people in there waiting for appointments and she said can I help you and I said yes I'm here to meet with so and so and so and so and uh, she says well who are you I said I'm Tim Bedall I'm from Village Bible Church God is my witness, as Paul says in our text today. This is not a lie. As soon as I said the words, village, Bible church, it was as if there was a competition for people to speak of good praises that they're hearing about this place. And you know what they didn't say? They didn't say, wow, what a big building you're putting up there. When's that going to be done? I heard, do you know, so-and-so, their neighbor told them about village. And they've been helping them in their divorce, uh, in their marriage and issues of divorce that they're struggling with. And I was able to share that with the person that I heard that from. And what an encouragement to go and be able to tell someone that. And I've heard of other uh, ministries and other things that are going on that they began to speak about. You're doing good things there. This is what the pagans were saying of us. You're doing good things. Keep up the good work. And I sit there and say, praise be to God. The faith of this church is being reported. Maybe not all around the world yet. But where do you start? Sugar Grove. 
But the wonderful thing is we don't stop in Sugar Grove. A couple months ago, Ray Pritchard was here. And he finishes up his message, and he's here, and he has a great time. And, and I remember as he was walking, I says, this is a wonderful place, and God bless you and the ministry that's going on here. And then the next day, uh, I'm on the uh, website, and of course, I, uh, being involved with his ministry, I was on his website, and I see the heading of his blog is Village Bible Church. And for four paragraphs, this nationally renowned speaker and pastor speaks about all the wonderful things he saw going on at Village Bible Church. And you know what he spoke about? Much of it was the excitement that we have about our faith. And you know what I thought about? That didn't just go to Sugar Grove. That didn't go just to America. But that went to the uttermost parts of the world. And you know, when we give to our missionaries and we send missionaries out to the far off lands, you know what we are doing? The same thing that Paul was commending God for through the life of the Romans. He says, thanks be to God. Why? Because Village Bible Church has sent people from themselves to go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So when Gary and Jamie Boniface lead someone to the Lord, they say, well, how are you here? Gary and Jamie can say, because there's a place called Village Bible Church who supports us in the gospel ministry. When Jonathan Schuster leads someone to the Lord, he will speak about a place called Sugar Grove in a far off place like Ireland and say, it is because of Sugar Grove that I am here spreading the good news. And we have them in Thailand, in Africa, Guatemala. We have them all over the place. Why? Because our faith is being reported all over the world. So what do I say to that? Keep it up. Don't stop. And I can't follow that because i got to get moving. we got to move on. Point number two this morning. We can't just be motivated by a thankful heart. There's a second thing we must be involved in, and that is that a life of service when it comes to God is manifested. It is manifested through carrying out our God-given task. What that means is we can't all sit around singing kumbaya around a campfire saying, thanks be to God, he's taken care of us, he's done all these wonderful things for us, la, 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 and never get to the job of doing something about it. There's a lot of people who say, you know, my, my Christianity is all about just going to church, and I don't do much more beyond that. Why? Because I just want to say thank you to God. I just want to worship him. How do we say thank you? Remember what I said? We say thank you by serving God. Now, Paul says in verse 9, he moves on in our text this morning, and he says in verse 9, he tells us, God whom I serve. This word serve is the Greek word laturo. Laturo, and it's translated in two different ways in the NIV. It's translated, first of all, to serve. He says, God whom I serve. But another place, he speaks about the same word laturo, which literally means to worship. I think that's kind of ironic, to be honest with you. Not really ironic, because there's no ironies with God. But I think that it's kind of funny how God has allowed that to come together. A Christian who calls themselves that name must involve two things. Worshiping God and serving God. And there are some in our midst today whom I love and whom I desire nothing more than them to move on just from worshiping God to serving God. And how do you do that? I say the first and most easy way to get a part of that is through the local church. Now you may say, well, I serve in a lot of other ways. That's good. The change agent that God has given for the, uh, for the world is the local church. 
And your opportunity to serve in this place is a picture. It is manifesting the worship that you sing about and that you praise God about and say amen about on Sunday is that same spirit that moves you to serve. Paul says, God, whom I serve. Now, look at what kind of service is involved. It involves a passionate commitment. This isn't just something we do. This is why we have to be careful that duty and fear don't become our primary motivations for serving God. They can be secondary. They can't be primary. Love and gratitude and eternal significance should be those that are above that. There should be a passionate commitment. Look at what Paul says. He says, I serve the Lord with my whole heart. With my whole heart. This term, my whole heart, is a term that is all-encompassing. It means that this service that he has isn't just a hobby. It isn't just his Sunday thing to do before the Bears play. This isn't it. This is everything about him. This isn't his hobby. It is all that he has. Every aspect of his life surrounds God whom he serves. Now let me ask you this question, and it's a question that I had asked myself this week. Do I serve God with that kind of passion? Do I serve God and it is an all-encompassing service to Him where I sit there and I say, God, Your ministry is my life. And I'm not just talking to the full-time staff members here. I'm talking about every one of us who calls ourselves Christians. We may have another occupation. We may have other responsibilities. But that the overarching uh, uh, thing in our, in our lives is that we are serving God. So as we're parents, we're serving God. As we're employees, we're serving God. As we're friends and neighbors, we're serving God. Every aspect of our life involves serving God. It's all-encompassing. We do it with our whole heart. The other idea of this whole heart phrase is that it means that he will not stop until the job is done. I, I don't want to use this illustration as a joke. I'm not trying to. But I, I was so thankful this last week. I was listening to sports talk, and uh, the Cubs general manager was on uh, this last week. And, and, and the guy said, you know, what are you going to do about Cubs Nation? Because they're just happy they got to the playoffs. And you know what Jim Hendry said as a Cub fan? It, it warms my heart. He said, it's not good enough. It's not good enough until we've got a ring on our finger and a trophy in our hands. You know what? That's the kind of thing I want to hear from my sports team. But greater than that, I want to hear that from the Christians around me. It's not enough just to be saved. It's not enough just to make sure my family is saved. I am not going to stop what I am doing. I'm not going to stop serving Christ until it is done or God has called me home. That's the kind of passion that Paul has when he says, with my whole heart. And that's how we need to be serving Christ in this place. But how are we to, or what are we to be uh, doing? We are to preach Christ. Look at what he says next. He says his gospel ministry isn't to make his name known, nor is it to pat his pockets. It's not even to be look prestigious. It's to preach Christ. And it's to preach him crucified, him and him alone. Let me make something very clear. He would say, Tim, that's an important thing for you to hear. You preach the word, and he uses the word preach, preach Christ. That's what you're supposed to be doing. I'm here to contend that whatever you do in your Christian service, the end result of your life is to preach Christ. 
For those that are in the other room holding babies, their job is to show the love of Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, let the little children come to me. And the way we show that at the infancy, we hold them and we love them and we say they're not an accident or they're not some evolutionary blob that's been put together, but God knit their uh, bodies together in their mother's womb and they are special to God. And we preach Christ in that and we say that to our teenagers who we who have struggles after struggles and who fail. And how do we preach Christ? By putting our arm around them and saying, we know that you've messed up, but that's all right. I've messed up as well. But aren't you glad we have a God of grace who forgives us and who cleanses us of all unrighteousness? You know what we do? We preach Christ when we're hammering drywall. I don't even know. We don't even hammer it. We screw drywall into the walls. We paint walls. And what are we doing? We're preaching Christ. Because when we go home and we're all dirty and our neighbor says, Stan, I've never seen you really dirty. You're usually in your suit. Stan says to his neighbor, I'm out serving the Lord by building up a church. Well, why would you build a church? Don't you hire people to do that? No, we want to serve Christ by building a building that will bring glory and honor to God because little children and people will come in and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Every ministry that this place has all goes through the funnel of preaching Christ and making his renown known to all generations. You say, but I can't speak. You don't have to. Just serve the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I preach Christ. Look at what we see next. And it doesn't just involve preaching Christ, but it also involves a community of believers. It involves a participation in a community of believers. Paul doesn't do this on his own. He doesn't say, hey, uh, Roman church, you're doing a great job. Your, Your faith is being heard all throughout the world. So you know what? Things are looking good, like a good boss that he would be as an apostle. Things are looking good. Oh, look at the time. It's been a couple of years since I went on vacation. And I hear that uh, the Mediterranean Sea is beautiful these times of year. So what I'm going to do is go on a vacation. Everything seems to be going well. He doesn't do that. What does he say? I'm going to serve the Lord myself. And as you serve the Lord, you're going to spur me on to serve the Lord. And as I serve the Lord, I'm going to spur you on. Why? Because Paul knew something we need to understand. That the ministry is not done by your staff. The ministry is not done by your elders and deacons. But it is done in community by the body of Christ. And that your service to the Lord, you're a hand, you're a foot, you're a leg, you're an arm. We know that Christ is the head. The question is, what part of the body are you? And we all fit together like a big jigsaw puzzle. And one person's strength is another person's weakness. And that's wonderful because that fits beautifully together. And we make up this wonderful puzzle of pieces that look all by themselves, all crazy. And you say, why is that protruding out of that fella there? And and why does that person have that hollow spot there? Until you start putting them into place with the other people. And when Village Bible Church does what it's supposed to do, they don't see all these funny-looking pieces. They see a beautiful picture. And that's what God has called us to do. Paul says, I remember you. I remember you. God is my witness. I remember you. He knows he does not serve God alone, but he serves with others. Don't ever forget when the going is tough, when things are difficult, don't forget you serve the Lord together with us as one of the songwriters says you've got a friend in me and that should be our motto to one another 
When the going gets tough, you've got a friend in me. When you need help, you've got a friend in me. When, when, when you're down in the dumps, you've got a friend in me. When you fall to sin, you've got a friend in me. It happens in participation. Finally, our third point this morning is that not only are we motivated by a thankful heart, and not only is it manifested this thanksgiving, but it's maintained by talking with God. By talking with God. Paul teaches us something very important in verse 10, that true ministry, true Christian service is going to have a rudder to it. It's going to have a motor behind it, and that motor and that rudder is prayer. Paul says, the Lord is my witness that I've been praying for you. How many times I remember you in my prayers. Now he uses a couple words that we need to understand. First of all, he says, I remember you. God is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Underline, if you do, in your Bible, the word constantly, and then circle the term at all times. Why does Paul say that? It's kind of redundant. If he's praying at all times and he's praying constantly, what he's wanting to do is bookend this idea of prayer. I remember you constantly in my prayers and I'm praying for you at all times. So if you miss the constantly, you'll catch the at all times. I love you and I am praying for you. These two terms are two terms that doctors used in describing a nagging cough in the first century. You know those coughs that you get that never will go away? Paul is saying just like that nagging cough that you have in the middle of winter that you can't get rid of, I'm praying like that. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to pray for you at all times. Well, how are we to pray for, uh, for what's happening in our lives? Well, we're to pray constantly in all times. Paul says later in the book of First Thess- Thessalonians, we are to pray without ceasing, not to stop praying. But look at what happens next. We see a couple of things. First of all, we are to pray for other Christians. We are to pray for other Christians. Paul says, I remember you in my prayers at all times. We're to pray for one another. One thing that I want to challenge this church with, one of the most wonderful ministries that have come up in the last couple of years is a ministry that Keith started, and that was uh, this prayer email update. Hundreds of people are receiving it. But I want to challenge you with something. It is good to pray, and please hear the love that I have for us as a body. It is good for us to pray about our physical needs. But there's so much more we need to be praying for. There is so much more we need to be putting on that email prayer list than just physical needs. As important as those are, and I don't want to see people stop asking for prayer on those things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's grow that ministry to be a prayer for other Christians. I would love to see a prayer request like this coming across. I pray for, for, for Bob, that uh, Bob uh, has shared that he's going to be sharing his faith with a co-worker at, at work. Pray for Bob this week for a way, an opportunity that his words will be seasoned with salt and that he will proclaim the gospel clearly. Paul prayed for that in the book of Colossians. That we would pray that when trouble comes and turmoil comes, that we would have words to comfort 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I believe it may be, no, it's first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That we who have been comforted would comfort those who have words of comfort for those in need. And that we'd be sharing those types of things. Don't just pray for the physical body that will one day be placed in a grave. 
but pray for the eternal things that one another would be a part of. The second thing we see is not only just praying for uh, one another, but we also see praying for obedience to the will of God. Paul says in uh, verse 10, he says, I remember you in my prayers at all times. He's praying for other believers there. And then he says that a way would be opened by the will of God to come and visit you. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wants to visit Rome. He wants to see them. He doesn't want to do it for a vacation. He wants to do it so he can have an opportunity to meet them, to love them, to motivate them, to encourage them, to affirm them, to take care of them. That's a good reason to want to go to Rome. But Paul says, for some reason I haven't been able to get there. And I'm praying that God, by the will of God, that he'll allow me to make that trek to that. Let me just share this very very quickly with you. There are some here today who for some reason or another find themselves at a brick wall this morning. And maybe it is on a myriad of issues. And you're sitting there and you're banging on the brick wall and you're saying, I want to get through this. I need to get through this wall and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get through it. That's not how Paul lived his life. Paul says by the will of God that there would be a way opened. Let me tell you something. Stop beating on that wall and get on your knees before that wall and say, Lord, until you're ready, let this wall stay here for as long as it needs to. But I will tell you something, Lord, I'm ready when you knock it down. You knock it down when you're good and ready, and that's the time I'll be ready to go. We need to be praying, and that's another thing that can go on that email prayer list, is that where there are issues where we're hitting brick walls, that we get rid of our pride and go to the church and say, pray for me. I've got a brick wall in front. Everything in the flesh has to plow right through it or walk around it, but I want to get on my knees, and I want to submit myself to the will of God and say, not my will, here's an advertisement for Sunday school, not my will, but your will be done. And that needs to be our submission and obedience to the will of God. Paul says that he would make a way. Why does he need to make a way? For greater opportunities of ministry. Why does he want to go to Rome? He wants to go to Rome so that he can spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Another thing to put on our email list as we pray for one another, as we pray for uh, obedience of the people of God, we pray that God would open doors for people. Paul prayed in one of his letters that God would open the door for the gospel message to be laid out. I would ask that you would begin to think about who you need to have an open door to. Is it your neighbor? Is it your friend? Is it your wife or your husband? Is it your child? Is it a grandparent or a parent? Who is it that there needs to be an open door to? You obey the will of God and you say, God, open the door when you're good and ready because I'm ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ when that wall comes tumbling down. That's how we should be praying. And we should be doing that by bookending it at all times and constantly. Let us be known as a church, not just for the great things that God enables us to do, but an utter dependence on that God that says, without you, God, Village Bible Church, Tim Bidal, the people in this place can do nothing without the power of Almighty God. Let us pray to that end. And let us always be motivated with a heart of thanksgiving and love that says, God, if it weren't for you, I would never be able to serve. And when you begin to serve like that, Paul tells us that we won't be ashamed of the gospel, that we will be able to freely speak the word of God. And not only that, but God will give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word this morning. 
And Father, I pray for those today who've been serving the Lord with wrong motives. Father, convict their hearts this morning that they would know that it's not the end and that there's an opportunity to serve out of gratitude and love for all that you've done for us. Father, I pray for those who are struggling in serving with the right motives and those that are struggling to serve with the right heart. Father, I pray that we would fight the good fight, that we would finish the race. And Lord, that in the end, you have promised that we will receive the crown of righteousness. And Lord, that it's not for our glory or our fame, but it's to your glory and your fame that we do these things. Oh, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. Paul in Romans 16 thanks 32 different people for their partnership. Father, I thank you for this local church that partners with one another for the furthering of God, the gospel message so that your, wor- your word and your gospel would be reported through the faith that we declare and that we display and that it would be seen to the uttermost parts of the world. So that again, you would receive glory. That sinners would come to grace. And that people would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.